All of that information is on the website. All of that information is, uh, is in the Seasons Weekly this morning. So if you go to the wrong place, you can't say I didn't tell you. And I'll probably go to the wrong place next Sunday. So anyway, we, uh, we want to try to get that information as clear as possible. Speaking of messages that need to be clear, as Michael said, uh, we've been using the theme of the dawn uh, in our Advent series. And this morning we are going to talk in just a couple minutes about the civil dawn. But there are just some messages that you have to get right. If you, if you mess them up, uh, they can lead to some really terrible uh, situations. There was a businessman in Chicago who was going to uh, a business meeting in Orlando. And he wanted to stay for a few extra days and have his wife come down and join him. And so they worked out the deal where he'd go a day early and he would go to his business meetings. She would fly in the next morning and they could have a little three-day weekend and then they'd fly back home. And so he, he meant to send her an email, uh, but he pushed one wrong button in the email address. And he ended up sending this message to the wife of a preacher who had died the day before. Okay, And here's what the message said. Uh, arrived here, everything is fine, no problems, looking forward to you arriving tomorrow. P.S. It sure is hot down here. <laughs> I don't think it's very funny that it's sent to a preacher's wife. Um, you don't want to get that kind of message wrong. You, 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 don't want to, you don't want to mess that one up. Salvation is no small matter. Your eternal destiny and my eternal destiny are not a topic with which we should trifle. We should give it very serious attention, and we would hope that God would give it serious attention. We hope that God wouldn't be somewhat laissez-faire in his approach to not only the, the idea of redemption, but also the communication of redemption. And the reason we've, we've picked these ideas of, of the different types of dawn for this sermon series is because there is an unfolding message of redemption that begins in the Old Testament and finds its pinnacle in the New Testament, but carries on into your life and to my life today. And so we, we've talked about the different types of dawn in the framework of the idea that God's redemptive work is becoming more and more visible. So if you've been with us, you'll remember, if you haven't been with us, they, this might kind of serve to get you up to speed a little bit. Two weeks ago, we looked at ast what's called astronomical dawn. Astronomical dawn is 18 degrees below the horizon, and it's when the night sky is no longer completely dark. And so I had a great picture up here, and you, if you were here a couple weeks ago, you saw it. There's just a little sliver of sunlight that's being introduced into the sky, which is still mostly dark. And we went back and we looked at Isaiah chapter 9, which we're going to read again this morning as a, a bit of a, of a refresher. And Isaiah's context there was describing the character of the coming Messiah. And he, and he used terms like everlasting father, prince of peace, wonderful counselor, to describe the character of the one who would come. Now, that doesn't tell you a whole lot. It doesn't tell you when. It doesn't tell you how. It doesn't tell you exactly what's going to happen uh, as that person comes on the scene, but it does tell you something about the character of God. You have a little bit more light than you had before. Last week, we looked at the term nautical dawn, and nautical dawn is when the sun is 12 degrees below the horizon, and objects are becoming more distinguishable. As you look outside, you can, you can see that, you know, you can see the bushes in your front yard, so to speak. You can, you can see the outline of them. You know that they're there. The picture that we had on the screen, as you looked at it, you could tell it was by a, a, a lake shore, and you could tell that there were some rocks 
and a, and a little jetty that was out in the, in the distance, and, and there was a little bit wider of a strip of light that shone across the sky. Still wasn't clear, but you could certainly make out more than you could a few minutes earlier. This morning we're going to look, as Michael uh, mentioned, at Civil Dawn, and now we can go to our, our picture of Civil Dawn, and that's actually a picture of St. Louis. Uh, the arch is down there in the, in the foreground, and you can see the sky is now becoming very, very clear, and you can not only see things that are close by, but you can see objects far away. Civil Dawn is the time at which there's enough light for outdoor activities to commence when the sun is six degrees below the horizon. That's the phrase we want, to, we want to wrestle with a little bit this morning and, and, and seek to, to use to learn from God's Word this morning. The idea that activities can commence. What redemptive activities has God commenced? So we're going to go back to Isaiah chapter 9 for just a minute, and we're going to, we're going to read that again as a foundation, as a reminder. Then we're going to go to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to look at a few verses there. Hear the Word of God, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, and your Bibles are on the screen. You can follow along. But there will be no gloom for her who was once in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On those who dwelt in the land of darkness, on them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they, are, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then in Luke chapter 2, reading in verses 8. And following, we'll read through, through verse uh, 19. In that same reason, region, there were shepherds out in the field while keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. 
To him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, I would pray this morning for your spirit to be present in this place. Father, this is a time of year when, when we are uh, in many ways filled with joy and anticipation as we look forward to uh, reunions with loved ones, as we look forward to uh, the, the magical time of Christmas for our little ones as they open gifts, uh, as we have times to enjoy meals together. Uh, when the, the pace of life is a bit hectic leading up to the day, but then for a few days it gets to slow down a little bit and we get to enjoy one another's company. But Father, there, there are, for some of us, uh, broken relationships, and, and the joy that, that many experience this time of years is, is absent from us. Father, there are others of us for whom this year might be the first year where we're separated from a loved one who has passed away. Or perhaps we have a child that, that's serving overseas in the military, and for us it's a time of remembering that everything isn't exactly right in this world. So, Lord, whether we come this morning filled with joy and thankfulness, whether we come this morning with anxiety and anticipation and fear, Father, I thank you that we come to the one who brings the dawn of salvation. We don't come to hear my words. Father, I, I, I am as great a sinner as any person in this room. I have no uh, moral character to back up any message that would be worth anybody listening to. It is only your eternal truth that can penetrate my heart and penetrate the hearts of every person in this room. It is only your word of life that brings the truth into our hearts, to our minds. And it is that truth for which we pray, Lord. We pray that we would worship you with our intellect and our minds and our emotions as we look at this passage. As we see the activity of salvation commencing and how that applies to our life. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come and that you would be our teacher, we pray in your name. Amen. The question I really want to, to work with this morning is, what's God up to and, and what's man up to in response to God's activity? So if, if the day's activities can commence, if we have enough light to, to see, to do our work, what is God doing? And as we see what God is doing, how do we respond to that? How do the folks in this passage of Scripture respond? And what can we take away that will be helpful for us? Where, where's the activity beginning? And I want to look for a couple of moments in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, because I think it's there that we see very clearly the activity that God has commenced when it comes to redemption. The first is found in verse 10 where uh, the angel shows up and the shepherds look up, and this isn't something that, that you would necessarily see every day. And the first words out of the angel's mouth are, fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't panic, fellas. It, it, it's, all, oh, it's all okay. And, and in a sense, this uh, angel is speaking directly God's word to these people. And what God is saying to the shepherds and what I believe he's saying to lost mankind is, you don't have anything to fear from me. You don't have anything to fear from me. Occasionally, I'll, I'll call up a, a friend or an acquaintance and I'll say, hey, you want to... You want to go to lunch, or, or if I can't get a hold of him, my assistant Jenny might call somebody and say, Hey, Tom, would love to have lunch with you, or grab a cup of coffee with you. Do you have time to, to do that? And inevitably, most people say this, What did I do wrong? <laughs> Why do you all have such a guilty conscience when your pastor calls you? I can't quite figure that out. Maybe you've heard the story of C.S. Lewis, who was a, a, a famous British author, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. And as a practical joke one time, in the dead of winter, he sent an anonymous telegram to four of his best friends. And, and the only words in the telegram were, all has been revealed, flee, exclamation point. By the next day, three of those four friends had left England. 
why do you have a guilty conscience? Why do I have a guilty conscience? Only one reason, friends. It's because we're guilty. It's because we have offended a holy God. Whether you believe in God this morning or not, whether you're here kind of checking it out maybe for the first time, you know right from wrong. There's something deep in your soul that says there's a, there's a certain way I should live and a certain way I shouldn't live. And, and I've never met a person, even, even the most hardened atheist, who would say I've lived a perfect life. I've never offended another human being. I've, I've never spoken in a way that was inappropriate. I've never lost my temper. I've never, I've never harmed someone in, in any way at all. We, we feel a bit guilty because we do have something to fear if there is a God. And if he is the perfect Lord of the universe and we must stand before him and give an account, I don't know about you, but I'd like to get way towards the end of the line and keep my head down and be real, real quiet. And so when the angel comes and says, fear not, don't be afraid, he's not talking about your innocence. He's not talking about my innocence. He's talking about the character of God who longs to forgive and to restore relationships with the lost and a broken world. And the angel is announcing that God is commencing his activity of grace. Beyond that, the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. Not only is God commencing his, his work of salvation, but he's not commencing his work for just a handful of people that he really, really likes. God hasn't gone around the room and said, okay, now you're pretty good, and I don't know about you, but yeah, you I'll take. Uh, oh, and no, I saw what you did last week. I'm sorry, you're, you're out of the picture. God does not look at your characteristics or my characteristics. He invites everyone to consider his grace. He knows that what we've studied in Romans in this past year, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and everybody needs a Savior. And so the good news is offered for everyone's consideration. It is all-inclusive. There are no restrictions. There is no small print. Um, I went shopping for like five minutes on Black Friday. I don't know how many people actually go out and, and did it. I, Cindy and I didn't see each other at all yesterday. I left early in the morning, and the next time I saw her it was about 10.30 last night. But I called her like three times during the day. And every time I called her, she was at another mall. It was unbelievable. Some people just, they, you know, they can, they're the energizer buddy when it comes to, to looking for Christmas deals. And I, I shopped on Black Friday for five minutes. The only reason I shopped for five minutes is because I needed golf balls and it was warm and I was going golfing. So I ran up to Sports Authority and they had this unbelievable sale on golf balls. So I'm walking out with, you know, with, with a couple of golf balls like this. And, um, and as I'm going out, thank you, one person got that. And as I'm walking out, I've got a little gift card for $10 off, for $10 more off. And I got all the golf balls I had for half off. So I go home, I'm like, Cindy, you got to run back up there because not only the half off, but here you can get another $10 off. And she said, there's no way. And I'm like, I'm reading it. I'm looking right at it. She goes, you obviously are not reading the small print. This person is a pro. This woman, <laughs> she knows all the little, she goes, you have to come back a different day. And I'm like, no way. You have to come back a different day. Look at that. Look at the small print. And I think some of us think, you know what, there's got to be a small print. There's got to be something else. God can't possibly forgive as freely and as graciously as you say he does, Tom. But friends, Scripture declares that as God commences his activity, this is good news for everyone. It's offered to you. I don't care what your background is. 
I don't, I don't care what you've done in the past that you think keeps you from God. But more importantly, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters that God says, I have good news for everybody. My activity of redemption that has begun is for all to consider. He goes on to say, for you this day is born in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The long-awaited Son of David has arrived. God has paid attention to the details. God has remembered his promise that he gave to King David that his throne would be established forever for all of eternity. And the Messiah has now arrived on on earth's doorstep. And so the angel concludes his message in explaining God's activity by saying, now go, you'll find the baby. He'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes. He'll be lying in a manger. He's in Bethlehem. And and that's the one thing that the angel tells the shepherds to do. Everything up to that and after that, as the other angels show up and the praise happens, is all directed towards helping them understand the character of God. But now he's going to ask them to respond to God's character. He says, do one thing. Have a little bit of faith. Go look and find the baby. I want you to know you can trust me. When I tell you something's happening, when I tell you that God is moving in salvation, you can take it to the bank. So go and see the baby in the, in the manger in Bethlehem. Is God's way of saying, trust me. Have faith. Go and see. I'm not asking you for a huge step of faith, but I, I, am, accept, I am expecting you to trust me. And God spoke in that way, in that activity to the shepherds, and he speaks in that same message to us this morning. God says to you and to me, you don't have to be afraid of me, not because you're innocent, but because I am a gracious and merciful God. And this good news is not restricted to just a handful of people. It's given for the entire world. The Messiah is for you, but the only way that you can engage with me is that you must believe. The only way you can, you can come into a relationship with me is by faith. And God says, come and see what I'm doing. That's the activity of a merciful God. What's our activity in response? How how do we hear that message and then uh, build our lives accordingly? And I want to offer a couple of observations out of verses 15 through 18 in the shepherd's lives. And I think there's a reflection or a correlation that we can apply for uh, for you and for me this morning. Uh, The first reaction is movement, right? So the shepherds have seen this whole thing, they've heard this message, and now the angels have gone back way into heaven, and they're probably blinking their eyes a little bit and trying to adjust back to the night darkness after this unbelievable encounter. And they look at each other like, did you see what I, did you see what I saw? That was that unbelievable? And finally, after a couple minutes, one of the, one of the, maybe one of the old veteran shepherds says, okay, boys, let's go see. Let's go find the baby. And there's movement. There, there's an activity in salvation's dawn. The activity of man may now commence. The activity of faith may now begin. And the shepherds don't do anything really astonishing. (laughs) They do, as you read the passage, what you would probably think to do is, let's go to Bethlehem and and see this thing that the Lord has said. Let's go make sure that that he has not misspoken. So they simply get up from where they're going, and they head to town. But then they, they go to town, and they find it to be true. Now, I don't know how many doors they knocked on, I don't know how many, how many you know, stables there were in Bethlehem. It wasn't a huge town, but there had to be, you know, I, I don't know, a dozen stables or so. You know, so they, they were walking around until they found, until you know, they heard a baby crying. And so they may have woken up half the town, who knows. But by the time they're on their way back to the fields, Scripture is very clear that they tell everybody they see what, what, what's happened. And what happens from movement 
and a reaction of faith, and you see that God is true, and you know that you can believe in Him and you can trust in Him, there's a passion that is created in your heart that will never go out. It may dim from time to time. There may be struggles in our life that that slow us down or challenge our faith, but there's a passion that's created in the heart of every disciple when they see the grace and the mercy of God, and they understand that they really don't have anything to fear, and it really is from God, and it really is mercy, and that they can stand before God under His forgiveness and under His grace. There's a passion in their heart that makes them go and talk to other people about that. You know, I, you can't believe what, what I've, what I found here. Um, I'm one of those guys that doesn't go to the mall, but I am a huge disciple of the ShamWow. Any, any ShamWow people in here? God, there's got to be at least one other. Yeah, I know it's embarrassing. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. The ShamWow is like the greatest chamois cloth ever invented in the history of mankind. And I can't believe you people don't have some. There's going to be an 800 number up on the board. No, just kidding. But I ordered this one time, and Cindy's just sitting there shaking her head at me like, I can't believe I married you. But the ShamWow is unbelievable. And, and, and when I'm, I'm literally like over Big Ben, and I wash the car, and I'm wiping it off, and if somebody goes, hey, where'd you get that? It's a ShamWow. I'm happy to tell you all about it. Right? There's a passion that, that's created in a person's heart when they find something that's, that's, that's good. And, 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 and I can't believe I'm comparing God to the ShamWow. But... <laughs> It's too late to quit while you're ahead. I'm not even ahead. It's unbelievable that the God of the universe would condescend to save people like you and a person like me. That angels would actually show up and say, you got nothing to worry about. Just trust. If that doesn't create a passion in my heart and your heart, I'm not sure what will. But the passion leads at times to pause. Because the shepherds went... And they told everybody, right? And what does verse 18 say? Verse 18 says, the people that heard that just kind of walked away scratching their heads. Going, really? This, I, this is not something you hear from a shepherd on a normal basis. This, this is not a conversation that takes very, place very long. A shepherd walks up to me and says, we just saw the God of the universe in, in the form of a little baby in the stable over there. And the reason we know it is because the angel of the Lord showed up and, and then an entire heavenly choir showed up and you ought to go look too. I don't blame people for kind of going, Really? <laughs> There's there's a thought. <laughs> you boys been drinking, right? They wondered. There was a pause. Why? Why is there a pause? Because they have a guilty conscience too. God's really going to love me that way. You see, when 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 that pause occurs, it's not because God's done something wrong. It's because we believe it's it's too good to be true, and that's why that that pause is, I think, in many ways, an appropriate response. I understand why people respond that way. But the shepherd, it didn't show the shepherds down from telling people. They didn't go to the next guy and go, we don't want to tell you this because the first guy we told really wasn't sure what to do with the information. They told everybody. And the activity that we can see that is enough for the day's activity to begin is a response of faith. It's an, it's an activity of faith. So this message that the angel brings causes movement. I trust in God's Messiah and that begins to change every aspect of my heart. And that, that movement to go and to, and to see the baby in the manger and to, and, and to put my faith in Christ. And to say, yes, God, I can't save myself. I'm not good enough. I am ashamed of the way in which I've lived. I am ashamed, and I, and I stand in judgment of the, of the decisions that I've made, the words I've spoken, the, the, the actions of my life. I deserve your judgment, but I, but I embrace the cross of Christ. I embrace that mercy. 
I embrace that gift, that movement is going to create a passion in my heart to want to go and let others know about this Messiah. I, uh, I teach a preaching class at Covenant Seminary, which may surprise some of you based on how the sermon's gone this morning, but um, I, I took my students out on, um, on Thursday after the semester was over, and we went over to Llewellyn's, and, and we all had cups of coffee, and um, Llewellyn's is a pub, but um, I said, this is a time for us to talk, because there's all kinds of stuff that we don't teach you in seminary, and the reason we don't teach you is because if you knew it, you wouldn't go be pastors. So what do you want to talk about? And we sat for about two hours, and we talked. Well, there was a guy in my group who has this idea of starting a church in Kansas City, and he spent like 20 minutes explaining to me this idea of planting this church in Kansas City. And, and friends, I'm being polite. It was all over the map. And, and, I'm, and I'm smiling the longer he goes on, and I'm, smi- and I, and I, and I'm kind of starting to giggle a little bit. And he says, What's so funny? I'm like, God love you, your plan. It just is the worst plan I've ever heard. But you know what? There's a way that God can take your passion. And my skepticism is so totally irrelevant. Don't ever let that passion die. Don't ever stop. Now, I have a couple pointers for you. (laughs) I have a couple thoughts for you because I've been, been knocked down a couple times in 31 years of ministry. I maybe help you avoid a couple pitfalls, but keep that passion going. And if there's anything I can do to help you, please let me know because it's your passion for the gospel changing your life that will change the world. That, that movement of faith produces and sparks a passion. And the passion may cause for pause. But wouldn't it be wonderful if there were more and more people in our town who kind of scratched their heads and said, I wonder if what those people at Green Tree say really is true. At least they're engaged. At least they're wrestling with the question. About a month ago, we, we did a couple of videos on Sunday morning. I don't know you'll call them videos anymore, but we put a couple of life stories up on the screen where people were talking about their first uh, interactions with Green Tree. And we actually produced a third one that we didn't get to show uh, because we, we uh, couldn't fit it in during that time. And I was, I was a little bit frustrated because I saw it and I really, I really appreciated the message. But as I was preparing this week, I was like, wow, now I know why God didn't want us to use it there. Because this story speaks about, it it goes in a couple different directions. But what I want you to listen for, we're going to put on the screen in a second. What I want you to listen for is as these folks interacted with a couple of particular um, situations at Green Tree, the passion they saw in a person's life to make sure that some kids knew about Jesus. So watch this story. I feel like Tom Ricks on a Sunday. When we got to the <laughs> at our wedding, when we got up to the front, he first, you know, my dad puts me there, and he comes over. He just looks at me and says, "Totally deadpan, new dress." So I'll do me, then you do you, and the kids. Is that fine? Okay. I'm Steve Hughes, and I'm Mary Ann Hughes, and we have two daughters, Caroline and Elizabeth. Caroline's in seventh grade, and Elizabeth is in sixth grade. And we've been going to Green Tree for about two years. When we started looking for a church, we'd been at a previous church for 12 years. We narrowed it down to Green Tree and another church. And we said, okay, we'll go to Green Tree for three or four months. And then we'll go to this other church three or four months and then kind of pick whichever one we like better. Our kids went to Sunday school. They're in fourth and fifth grade. And their teachers at the time were Mike and Monica Miller. We then go away for three months, and when we came back, what surprised us was how Monica in particular 
as Elizabeth, our daughter, was walking up, she says, Elizabeth, so good to see you. How was your week? And we were just impressed, first of all, that she remembered her name. But then what was also neat is how she made Elizabeth feel like she'd just been there last week. Our daughter started laying out their clothes the night before, which has never happened in our house. And again, just it's because it's the, the marriage of the gospel with the living it out in a fun way that really kind of struck our family. A few months after the whole welcome back by Mike and Monica Miller, I went to pick up our girls from Sunday school. So I said to Elizabeth, what you do in Sunday school? And she said, Mom, we ate steak and it was awesome. I said, uh, what are you talking about? She said they were teaching us about the prodigal son and about how the dad killed the fatted calf to celebrate the son coming home. And I raised my hand and I said, we should celebrate. We should have steak. And so the very next Sunday at Green Tree, Tim Keith brought his grill, grilled that steak, and they all ate it and they celebrated. She's never going to forget that. You know, it's like, what did you do last week? Oh, yeah, the steak thing. I mean, she's going to remember that for, for her whole life. So talk about welcoming. In our first year here, these teachers who took the time to get to know us and our kids also really listened and did things that brought scripture to life. I think we knew Green Tree was home at that point. We've been going to Sunday school a little bit more often and really enjoying that. We love how after Sundays, every now and then they'll have people just come over for lunch and just kind of, if you're new to the church, that sort of thing. I was welcomed into a community group by the fabulous Joan Holly, and um, I'm loving that group of women on Thursday mornings. It's been cool. I've had a couple of the pastors take me out to lunch, and I have to admit, you know, when a pastor takes you out to lunch, you always expect at some point, uh, here it comes, <laughs> I want you to run the, you know, the kids' ministry, or they want, they want you to do something, and every time it's just been to get to know me, and that's been, been very cool. They really do care about the, the men and the women of the church, not just what can we get them to do for us. I know that we want to open our home to people. I mean, one of the first things that we experienced too was um, Beth and Brant Bowman had us over for dinner. We would like to do that, you know, small groups, just one-on-one. -on -one. And I think that it's on our hearts to kind of try to see who those people who are new are. You don't always know. So we've been serving a bit on the welcome team and it's fun. That's a great way to get to know people as they come in the door. I know for both of us, we never grew up going to a church that was in our same community. Given traffic lights, we're about 5 minutes and 17 seconds away from church, uh, give or take. And um, I, I do like the idea that, that wherever we live, we live in Glendale, that we can invite a neighbor or someone, let's say they're in a tough time, invite them to church, and it's not across town, it's, it's 5 minutes and 17 seconds away. I know a lot of the places you go to churches and you can be anonymous for years. So this is that, that doesn't happen at Green Tree. So pretty much the best way was like the church just loved us well by wanting us to get to experience church together. So it just blew my mind that strangers who I didn't know would want to come in and just be loving on our family. I've never experienced this in my years of belonging to any church and I knew that this was now my church home. We're still here and you know, and, and this is this is our home. I think it would be a terrible mistake to come away with that going, boy, Green Tree is a great place. I think that would be nothing short of a mitigated disaster. But I think what you need to see, besides Steve Yard, charge of children's ministry now, 
what you need to see, what we need to see, is that God's redemptive work that has dawned. The, the, the sun is now far enough or close enough to the horizon that, we, that the activities can begin. And, and what you heard and what you saw in that video was how God is changing and has changed people's lives and has given them a passion because they've begun to get their minds around the fact that they're forgiven by God's grace and by God's mercy. Friends, the activity of God that we can see that is, that is in motion, is moving across generations and across the world is, is the movement, is the activity of redemption. How will our activity and response reflect that grace and that mercy in which we stand?